you know, listening to that, that clip, you know, the, these two pirates are on the boat, and one of them's reading the Bible because he's got to save his immortal soul, or his uh, immortal soul. Says you can't read, and he says, well, it's the Bible. You get extra credit for trying. Now, I, I tell you, that, that's probably not true. You're not getting extra credit just, just for trying. But what, what we're doing with this series, and you can see we've kind of painted the board, and we're, tonight we're talking about the Bible. We're, we're looking for the next six weeks, and we did two already a few weeks ago on Sunday mornings. We're looking at what research has said are some characteristics in the lives of people who are spiritually mature. So the scripture is going to line up with these things. We're going to see it. But what you're going to find is that this is a, this is a science, a research-based project, and scripture that tells us if you want to be spiritually mature, if you want to be a person who other people look to as someone who is growing, that you are going to have many, if not all, of these things that we're going to talk about in the next several weeks as characteristics of your life. So a couple Sundays ago, and I know spring break kicked some of us out, and we were different places and things like that, but we looked at the first one because there's eight, and we're only going to do six like this. We did the other two in, in conversation during our small groups. Spiritually mature people have relationships that are sharpening them. Not just, not just friendships, but spiritual friendships, Christian friendships. That is a marker that research has showed as they looked at spiritually mature people, the vast majority of them have relationships with other believers. The second thing they found when they looked at people who are spiritually mature is that they're not, they're not ashamed of the gospel. They're, they're not afraid to be labeled as a Christian. One of the things that happened, I'll give you a quick brief illustration because i got to move forward, but when our high schoolers were in Tracy, California, we were, we were painting some things in a park. One of our goals was to serve the city and to do good deeds in the city that would lead to goodwill with people in the city that would lead to us being able to share the good news with people. And so we're in a park painting for the city, building good deeds and goodwill, and people would come up to us and start talking. And they'd go like, why are you here and what are you doing? Newspaper came out, made a, a newspaper article that said, Making Tracy, that was the name of the city, Making Tracy their mission. It was a great article. But as people would come, most of our students, I mean, we're, we're, in, we're in a growth mode to become spiritually mature. And you could see kind of where spiritual maturity came along that way because if somebody would come up and say, hey, why are you here? The person who is further along, and I'm not, I, don't, I don't know what they said, so I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I'm using this illustration. Somebody who's spiritually mature says, because they're unashamed, they go, I'm here painting because Jesus has changed my life, and I want to be a part of the change that Jesus is bringing to the world, and so I'm here to join Jesus in his work. The person who is not as spiritually mature struggles with that because they go, I don't, do I say the name Jesus? What if, what if they ask me some questions? What if they start laughing at me? And so kind of down that, that scale, if somebody's moving towards spiritual maturity, they might say something along the lines of like, hey, well, we came here to serve. We came here to do good deeds. And, and, and they're a little bit scared to throw out the name Jesus to the reporter or to the neighbor because they just don't know what's going to be said back to them. But the more spiritual mature you are, the less ashamed you are. You go, man, I, I love Jesus. I don't care who knows about it. That, that's Mark. And so we talked about those two things over the last two Sundays in small groups. Well, the third thing that we're looking at is people who are spiritually mature engage the Bible on a regular basis. In fact, I try to give you like a bottom line if you want to take notes or tweet something. I took this right out of the research itself. Here's what the research says. Transformation happens in a person when their mind is sharpened by Scripture, when their perspective is shaped by the Bible, 
and their actions are directed by the Bible. That, that's a mark. So if you go, hey, I want to be spiritually mature, what research is telling us and what we're going to see from the Word tonight is that you have got to get in to the Bible. It's got to become something that not just, you don't just read it, but it begins to shape the way you think. You start to do the things you're reading. It changes the way you see the world. That's not the only thing the research shows, though. Here are a couple other things that the research shows, which interesting in some ways, in some ways scary. Here's the encouraging news. 85% of households have at least one Bible, with the average household having 4.3 Bibles in it. We're not talking digital. We're not talking cell phones. We're talking about Bibles that are, are paper and cover. 4.3 per home. I know, that, I know that's true. The other day, I was down in our lost and found at the church, and every now and then, be, Bibles get stacked. And I'll go through and see if there are any of yours. If I know you, I, I kind of pull it up. And, and we had one of our students who I know well, two of his Bibles with his name on them were in the lost and found. Like he's got so many Bibles, he can lose two of them and not even know they're gone. I mean, we have Bibles, 69% of Americans, 7 out of 10 just about, say they believe the Bible provides answers on how to live a meaningful life. So we have a house full of them. We say it matters, but here's the bad news. Here's the next stat. 26% of Americans never read the Bible. One out of four never read it. 10% read it less than once a year. So we, we say it matters, but we don't read it a whole lot. 79% of those surveyed believe they're knowledgeable about the Bible. 54% couldn't identify the first five books. So we have them. We say we believe, but we just don't know it. And here's the last that Almost one out of every two people, 46%, believe that the Bible, the Quran, which is the Muslim book of faith, and the Book of Mormon, they believe that they're different expressions of the same spiritual truth, and they're not. In fact, I mean, Islam, Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. The Bible teaches that Jesus is God himself. It's the very big difference between being God and being a prophet. And so when we worship Jesus as a believer, because the word describes Jesus as God, says he is, Muslims would say Jesus is not a God. We, we do not worship the same God. But most people, half of us, don't even know that because we don't, we don't know the Bible. We don't know, know it at all. What we've got, and I see this in, in not just teenagers, I see this in adults, parents. I see this in people who have grown up in church for a lot of times. We have this biblical illiteracy. We don't know what the Bible teaches, but what we do know is what sounds spiritual and makes us feel good inside. And so we hear some things and we go, well, that sounds very spiritual. That, that sounds like it, it, came from, it came from the Bible or it came from maybe even a church. And it sure makes me feel good. And so that must be true. I, I had a student that used to sit in these, in these chairs not too long ago. Person's in college now posted something on Facebook a couple months ago, and the article was basically what I just talked about a second ago, that all faiths worship the same God. And so I just sent a private message to the person. I didn't post it up to get an argument going. I sent a private message and said, hey, I just want to make sure, because this person was in leadership stuff and things like that, I said, I just want to make sure we're on the same page that Jesus said that he is the way the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through Jesus, not, not just faith and religion. And the response back to me was, well, you know, that, you know that I came from a different kind of faith expression before I came to the youth ministry, and um, so you know that I believe a little differently, and I, and I believe that everybody is going to heaven. 
And man, I like, I, was, I, was I mean, I was grieved. So there's a person that sat where you're sitting, and for however many years that person's in this youth ministry, at some point, maybe I didn't say it, maybe a small group person didn't say it, maybe they just didn't hear it, but they, they walked away not knowing what the Bible teaches because the Bible does not teach that at all. But you know what? It feels good, right? I mean, I mean I'll mean, i be honest. I, I wish everybody was going to heaven. That's why I go on mission trips. That's why I do what I do. That's why I tell people about Jesus because I want everybody to go to heaven. But just because I want that doesn't mean that it's going to happen because people who, who die without a relationship with Jesus aren't going to heaven. Scripture's clear, but we don't know that. And it sure makes us feel good to say everybody's going get, to get there. Everybody's going to get the heavenly trophy. And we, we buy into that theology and that idea, and we start to live our lives around something that's false. Had some great conversations in the last couple of weeks about a movie that's out right now, The Shack. When the book came out several years ago, man, it was, and it caught the evangelical world, the Christian world by fire. Then the movie came out, and everybody's been talking about it. And I posted a thing on Facebook that, that basically said, hey, let's, let's be careful. Let's be careful because what happens is you go to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia says that the shack is a Christian book. Hillsong, who does great worship music, done, laid down a soundtrack for it. It's in the Christian bookstores. Outreach Magazine, which is a Christian magazine for pastors I read, was encouraging people to do a, a sermon series over the shack because it's in the theaters and draw a crowd and talk about it. And so people read it. And there are some great biblical themes in the book. If you've read the book or seen the movie, you know there's some great, great, there are some great theological truths in there. It's about forgiveness, and the Scripture talks a lot about forgiveness. So there's some, there's some good things in it. But it's also written by an author who has given us a picture of God. It's a fictional account, but he's describing God. And here's what this author has said, that Christianity, nor his seminary degree, worked for him. And that Christianity needs to be revised in order for it to work. In another one of his books, they asked him point blank, Do you, are you a universalist? Do you believe that everybody goes to heaven whether they have a relationship with Jesus or not? And he answered, yes. So, so we read the book or we see the movie and it's got great themes. Forgiveness, fantastic theme. It makes us feel good inside. We cry some tears. Get a little emotional, and it's tagged Christian. We go, well, that must be who God is. But that, that's a fictional portrayal, and it's not. And so the danger is this. I'm not telling you not to go see the shack. I'm not telling you not to read the book. What I'm saying is you have to realize what it is. It's a, it's a fictional book that does not give a complete picture of who God is. But we have so many people who are posting on social media, and they're saying things like this, and this is where my concern came from. They're saying things like this, the shack changed my life. We need Christians saying, you know what? I got into God's word. I got into the Bible. And I was reading John chapter 7. And John chapter 7 is changing my life. Because Hollywood is not producing movies in order to change your life. They're producing movies in order to line their pockets with your money. That's what Hollywood does. And that's okay. It's a business. But they're not trying to give you spiritual truth. They're trying to sell tickets. And we have people that have had their life spiritually transformed by the shack, which is not even biblical, and, not, and they don't read the Bible. It would almost be like this. If you're a Star Wars fan, any of them, Star Wars has great biblical truths in it. 
There's great theology. Good versus evil. Sacrifice for people that you love. I mean, there's great things in Star Wars. But if you came to me and said, listen, I was watching Return of the Jedi the other day, and Yoda said this, and Yoda is changing my life. Right? I mean, it's the same thing, though. This book that's a fictional account <coughs> that has a God figure, like Yoda the Master Jedi is, is changing people's lives. Guys, I'm telling you, if you want to be spiritually mature, you've got to know the word so that you can watch TV movies like that and read books like that and watch television shows that say that they're about Jesus and be able to see what is true and what is not because you know the word. But we don't. In fact, if you have your Bible, go over to 2 Timothy. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture tonight. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes this letter to a, a young guy, a young pastor named Timothy. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, this. I love this. This is, this is true for Timothy 2,000 years ago. It's true for us. Paul gives a warning. He says, the time is coming when people will not endure. Remember that word, endure. Paul says there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul said there's coming a time where people are, are when they hear truth that's hard sometimes, they're going to go, I don't like that. That bothers me. So I like this over here. I like what this pastor said, even though it's not biblical, but it makes me feel good. I've got spiritual warm fuzzies. And he says they won't endure the truth. They're going to run off chasing myths. That's true 2,000 years ago, and it's true today. My prayer for you is that, that you will become a young person who says, you know what, I'm going to start the process now of becoming spiritually mature, and I know that the Scripture says and research has proven that spiritually mature people are engaged in the Word. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you some time. It's difficult. And you've read the Bible, right? You've, you've, like, tried to read the Bible and then, like, read some stuff, and you're like, I don't understand anything that it says, right? Who's ever had that feeling? Raise your hand. Be, be brave. Most of us, we go, and the people who aren't raising their hand just, probably just haven't read the Bible. Because if you, if you read the Bible for the first time, you're going to be like, I, I don't know. It was written to people thousands of years ago in another culture. It's not written to 21st century Americans. So it reads weird. You can read the New Testament. And Paul, Paul can write a letter to somebody, and he can go an entire chapter and like use two sentences. And we're like, where, put a comma in there, bro. Like, help me out. Like, where, does, where do I take a breath? It's, just, it's different than what we're used to. And so... We don't understand it, but you know the only way to understand it is to spend time with it. My daughter started playing lacrosse a year ago. I've never seen lacrosse. I don't know anything about lacrosse. You know how I started to learn lacrosse? By watching lacrosse games. I didn't learn the whole thing during game one. I watched the season. I, don't, I still don't know all the rules. But if I continue to do that, like I did football or basketball, I'd know it better. Because time in helps the understanding. But that's the, that's the other problem, time. We say we don't have time. I'm busy. I mean, I like, we have like nine or ten students on our ministry team for this series. And like three of them made it tonight. Like six of them because they're busy. And they're like the leaders making this event happen. And they've got homework. They've got other things. Get it. You're busy. But, but you won't understand Scripture unless you carve out time. And you won't carve out time unless you come to a point in your life where you go, you know what? This matters, and it matters more than the show I'm watching on Netflix 
and it matters more than, than whatever thing I've, I've overcommitted myself to. It doesn't mean you don't watch Netflix. I'm not suggesting that you close Netflix, and every time you want to watch TV, you go, no, I'm going to read the Bible today. I mean, and then we're not talking about reading the Bible 14 hours a week, but we are talking about reading the Bible and letting it transform you and begin to change you so that you have this, this depth about you. So I want you to go over to Romans chapter 15. Kind of the passage we're going to look at tonight. Romans chapter 15, we're going to look at one verse. that Paul writes to Christians, and he's going to talk about Scripture. Now, when Paul talks about it, he's going to talk about the Old Testament. Because when Paul's writing this, there is New Test- no, no, no New Testament. But he's also expecting the people to read this letter to Romans and do what it says, which has now become our New Testament. But look in verse 4. One verse is all we're going to look at. Paul says, Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days, that's the Old Testament, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That word is didaskaleia. It means, it's translated a lot of times doctrine. Now, it makes sense when we read in English to translate it instruction. He says that the Old Testament, the Bible, was written for your instruction. It was written for your for doctrine. That's not a word we use a lot, but what it means is this. It, it gives us the character of, and the nature of God. This this Bible that we're asking you to read reveals to you who God is and what he's like. It's it's the only way you're going to get detailed information like that because it's God's story that he's unfolded from Genesis to Revelation to reveal to you who he is because he wants to have a relationship with you. You you can consider it like a giant love letter where he's saying, hey, here's who I am and here's what I want to do in your life and and here's what what I care about you and here's how you can live life to its fullest, and he gives it to you so that you can know who he is, so that you can know his character, and so that your life can be transformed by it. And so Paul says in, in verse 4, whatever was written, that Old Testament, and we got the New Testament now, in former days it was written for us to know God better for our instruction. And he says that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, and we might have hope. Now for us, when we read the word hope, like, like, I don't know about you guys, like, I think, like, Christmas, I hope I get this, you know. I, I hope when I turn my taxes in tomorrow, I hope I don't earn, owe money, you know. I, I hope I'm going to get a new car when I turn 16. In the New Testament, that word hope is not just, like, fingers crossed, I, I hope. It was, it was basing on a promised reality. So it was the hope that Jesus was coming back, but they knew that he was. But they were looking forward, hopefully, to that time when he was coming. So it was not like, hey, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. They knew that Jesus is coming back. And what Paul says to this, he says, you need your Bible. You need the word of God because it tells you who God is and it reveals to you his character so that you're prepared for that time that we're eagerly awaiting when we get to see him face to face. You realize that? There's coming a time you are going to see God. And for some of us, it's going to be glorious. We're going to give an account for our life. And we're going to stand before God, and God's going to get, we're going to give an account for our life, and we're going to know all the sin that we've had, and we're going to be able to look at God and go, hey, I sinned a lot, but Jesus paid for it all. And God's going to see you as perfect because Jesus has put his blood in your place. But some of us are going to meet God, and it's going to be a very uncomfortable moment when he goes, depart from me, I never knew you. And we spend an eternity separated from him. We're all going to see him. And as we're heading that way, getting prepared for it, Paul says, you've got the Bible so that you can know the God better that you're going to meet and spend eternity with. And he gives us these two things. And we're going to go fast through them real quick. He says that through endurance and through encouragement. 
the, the endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures that we might have that hope. Let's talk about those two words for a second. Remember, I told you, remember endure. Paul told Timothy, some people would not endure. Paul says, you've been given it and you need to endure it. Now, here's what, here's what that means. The Bible's tough. The Bible's going to say some things that are difficult for you. That word endure that we just read, the Greek word literally means to remain under. Let me give you a picture of what that's like. Uh, last year, some of our, our pastoral staff, we all went to a conference up in Fort Worth, a preaching conference. And as we were driving to Fort Worth to get to the seminary where this conference is being held, we start looking at our phones because the weather's getting really bad and we're watching radar. And their tornado, whatever a warning or watches, it was the one where tornadoes are, are possibly going to be there. And so we're like watching, the, I guess it's a tornado watch since we're watching, that makes sense. Uh, we're looking at the radar and we're trying to get to the seminary. And it's just kind of, it's kind of, you know, when the tornado season comes and the sky gets like colors it's not supposed to be. It's kind of one of those days. Well, as we pull into seminary, everything's fine, but as we pull into the parking lot, the wind starts picking up like heavy, fast. We, we pull into this overhang where we get out to go inside the building, and, and when the door of the truck opens, not like a little electric Kia, this is like a heavy-duty Ford Chevy truck, the door starts to open, and the wind is blowing so hard, it throws the door open, and I thought, that door might have just bent. One of our pastors, as we all kind of run in, it was his car, he had to go park it. He goes over, he's a grown man, the wind's blowing, he had to get both hands and lean into his door and start pushing as hard as he could to get the door shut. That's the kind of winds that are blowing. So when that happens, we walk in, and they're sending everybody at this conference down into the basement, because this is like tornado might be hitting. And we got there kind of as everybody's finishing up, so we start going down the stairway, and the basement is full of people, can't get down. People are now lining the stairwell. And so we're kind of the last people to the party. We kind of walk in, and so we're kind of standing on the stairwell. You can't stand in the stairs. You've got to clear it. And it's getting hot, and it's sweaty, and it's like a bunch of dudes, and, like, you know, they're all, like, in suits, and they're, like, not me, but, they're, you know, they're, so they're sweating even more. And you're there, and you're like, Can we, we just want to go. But you can't go because if you go upstairs, you might die, you know. So we're going to stay downstairs where it's safe or safer. It takes about two or three minutes. So you're standing down there, and you're going, I'm miserable. I have no place to sit down. It's hot. There's no, there's no air moving. I don't know any of these people that I'm, like, shoulder to shoulder with. I, don't, I just want to go sit down. And you start having, like, thoughts, like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I'll just chance the tornado, you know, because this is miserable. But you don't. You remain under, literally remaining underground. But remaining under the authority of the people that said, listen, it's not safe up here. You stay down there, and even when it gets uncomfortable, you endure, you remain under. And that's the picture. You're going to read some things in your Bible that don't give you warm fuzzies. You're going to read things. The Scripture says that God hates divorce. God doesn't like for husbands and wives to split up. One, because it's, it's a theological issue, but he also knows what it does to kids. You're, you're going to be a teenager if you're not there already. I'm sure most of you probably are. You, you're going to have this thing like, you know what? I am very interested in sex. Very interested in it. Friends are doing it. They say it's great. I want to experience it. But the scripture says that sex was created for and meant for a husband and a wife in a marriage covenant. And it's not for anything else. And you know what? If, if you're a 16-year-old guy, you are going to have, you may not say it out loud. You'll say it to your friends. You won't say it out loud here. But you're going to go, I think that's stupid. I don't like that idea. 
because everybody else is doing it and I want to experience it. Everybody gets that. But if you're going to be spiritually mature, if your mind's going to be sharpened by the scripture, your perspective is going to be shaped, you're going to do it. You have to remain under the authority of the scripture that says, you know what? Even though I want to experience sex, I'm going to trust that God, who created everything and revealed his character and nature to me in this word, knows better than my idiot friends do. That's not a big leap. Who are you going to trust? God, who created everything, or your friend who can't pass Algebra 2? Right? I mean, it should not be that difficult. Who, who, who are you going to trust? Adults who are spiritually mature that have been walking with the Lord for years, some of them who made mistakes when they were teenagers, that say, hey, I made mistakes, and let me suggest to you that you don't follow in my footsteps and you follow in the path of Jesus. You trust them? Or your friend who's always grounded because he can't even figure out how to obey his parents. I mean, it's simple, but it's going to be difficult. The Bible says things about abortion, which is a hot topic, homosexuality, which is a hot topic, alcohol, which is a hot topic. It says things that make people feel uncomfortable. The Bible says that not everybody's going to heaven. It makes us feel uncomfortable. But spiritually mature people endure. They remain under. And then Paul says this. We also have the encouragement. Because not only do we remain under Scripture, but there's times in your life where you're walking the journey where Scripture is going to be the thing that encourages you when you can't go on. When, when you're going through difficult times, and you're going to open up that Bible to do that devotional, you're going to pick up one of the things that we put on the back, one of those devotional guides, and you're going to open it up, and you're going to read the Word of God, and you're going to have one of these moments. Some, you guys have had it before, a lot of you have, where you're, something's going on in your life, and you open up the Scripture, and you read God's Word, and you go, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. God spoke to me loud and clear and encouraged me. And I'm going to be able to keep going forward. We're in this journey towards the hope, this, this time where we're going to meet Jesus. We've been given his word to know his character and his nature. We have to endure under it, and it's going to come alongside and encourage us. That's what Romans 15, 4 says. And then you have to choose. Will you do it or not? If you want to be spiritually mature, Scripture's spoken, and research has spoken, you've got to become a student of the word. It's going to take time to understand it. You've got to put it in. So, so here's the application. Here's the takeaway. I'm going to give you three things. One, you're only going to do one of them. It's kind of where you're at in your life. If you don't read your Bible, like if, you, if you're like, what was it, like one in 10% don't read the Bible at all. You know, if, if you go, you know what, I'll be honest, only time I open my Bible is when I'm here. Or maybe you go, I don't have a Bible, I'll get you one. Here's your application. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do in the midst of this series, and there'll be other things we talk about. But for the next 30 days, try to read the Bible every day. Get a devotional guide. We've got some in the, class, in the small group rooms. I can bring some. I don't know if we have them on the table or not. Try to read the Bible every day, just 30 days. If you, if you haven't done it, try it. And don't just, like, pick up Genesis and start reading the beginning. Get a devotional. Let it help you through because it'll help you understand it. But you make that application. You walk out, walk out, and you're like, that could be one. If you do read your Bible, and you go, man, I, I have a devotional life. Here, here's your application. Let, let's take the next step in our journey, and, and let's do a Bible study. And when I say let's, I don't mean me and you. I mean you and the Lord. You can go down to a family Christian store. They're going out of business. Everything's like 40% off. Go grab a Bible study that's an individual one, take you through the book of Proverbs, or take you through the book of Daniel, and just <coughs> over time, over the next three or four months, 
Carve out some time, not just to do your devotional, but to go deeper into the word. And let it ask you questions about this passage of scripture. And to go, not just devotion, to go deeper into Bible study. That's for you, the guys that are like kind of intermediate in your walk with the Lord. If you're advanced, do you go, this, this message doesn't really apply to me. I do, I do my quiet time. Like, I could have whooped Connor's butt in the, in the game. You know, Connor knows his Bible stories, obviously, right? I mean, we saw that. Not only does he know me, he, he knows them via emoji. You know, so, I mean, he's in the Word, obviously. So, so if that's where you're at, here's, here's your advanced homework. You take somebody along with you into the Word. You got a friend sitting next to you that doesn't, that doesn't understand it. So over lunch or at Starbucks or come up here 20 minutes early on a Wednesday or stay 20 minutes after and say, hey, we're just going to read a chapter a week together. And we're going to sit down and talk about what you learned from the chapter, what questions you have. And maybe you're the person that's the advanced person. You go, maybe they ask you a question. I don't know the answer to that. Well, you'll figure it out. So if you're not reading the Bible 30 days, if you are reading the Bible, go deeper, do a Bible study, learn how to dig into it so it's not just devotional. If you're doing that, you know the word. Love God, love people, and help others do the same. You help somebody understand the word like you do. Chicago Tribune did a, a story about the Pacific Crest Trail. It's a 2,600-mile trail that goes from California all the way up to Canada. If you walk, it's like over 6 million steps you would take. And it's not like just like a sidewalk. I mean, this is like one picture of part of the Pacific Coast Trail. There's mountains and there's valleys and there's hills. And it's difficult. It's a hard thing people commit to. And so along the way, this big journey, there are some people that live along the trail. And this article in the Chicago Tribune talked about them, referred to them as trail angels. Because what they do, they, they live in the trail. They're, they're people who love hiking in the woods. They love, you know, being in the wilderness. But they have opened up their homes to hikers. And they put out, like, shower trailers for hikers. And they'll cook food. And so people come along. They don't know who's coming. It's just kind of who comes along the trail. It's kind of the end of the night. And the trail angels, people who live there, They'll invite people, instead of sleeping in your tent, you can sleep in our cabin we have. You can take a hot shower. And we're making a hot meal so you don't just have to have, you know, whatever you're cooking over the campfire. And so people love trail angels, right, if they're walking that, that journey. But the trail angels in the article, they said, we love it too because we, we get to meet all kinds of different people. And I started thinking about this, this trail. This specific crest trail is a lot like life. I mean, they're headed to a destination. They've got an end in mind. It's the end of the trail. That's why they're doing it, to say they completed it. And we've got an end in mind. It's heaven. It's the hope that Paul talked about in Romans 15, 4. We're headed there. And along the way, in your journey to heaven, there's going to be some incredible views. You're going you're, you're to experience some great things. There's also going to be storms. And there's going to be hard mountains to climb. There's going to be difficulties along the way. Scripture tells us, that the Bible itself helps us endure that, helps us to remain under. And then also, like those trail angels, this Bible's our trail angel for this life. It's our encouragement. It's, our, it's, our, it's the warm shower, the hot meal. It's when you feel like you can't go any further and God says something specifically to you from his word. That's why you need it. Because you're on a Pacific Crest Trail yourself. It's called life. And Romans 15, 4 said that this is your trail angel. It's your encouragement. So my challenge to you, band's going to come up, we're going to sing one last song. 
tell you a couple things that you can get involved in coming up. My encouragement to you is take one of those applications, a 30-day commitment. I'm going to put, I'm going to, while they're singing, I'm going to get some devotionals out of the classrooms. I'll put them back here. A 30-day commitment, a deeper Bible study. I'll help you find it. If you don't know where it is, just let me know. I'll find one for you. Or meet with somebody and help take them through the word. Help them understand it. Love God, love people, help others do the same. Hey, let's pray, and then we're going to sing.